You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. To me yesterday, and he said, uh, Grandpa, I have some bad news. And I said, what's, what's, what's going on? And he says, I had a bad dream about Grandma. And I said, what's your bad dream about Grandma? He said, she stole the car. I said, that is bad news. He goes, yeah, but it gets worse. She stole my car, my mom and dad's car. And I said, wow, that girl, she's so notorious stealing cars out there. So you never know what grandkids are going to come up with. I tell you, they keep you on your toes. That's a fact. That is a fact. So, hey, this morning, would you do this with me? Open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, to Gospel of John chapter 12. Give you a little bit of a head start. We're going to look at John chapter 12 together. We'll also have it on the overhead because this morning we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem, known as Palm Sunday. Or in many modern-day churches today, it's called the warm-up before Easter. But it's actually more than a warm-up before Easter. Palm Sunday has so much to do with ushering in the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. And so what happens for us at Palm Sunday is it alerts us, it signals to us that the sacrifice is being made for you and me. Because without the sacrifice of Jesus, there is no salvation. Now, I want you to think about this. The Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 300. 300 prophecies fulfilled. Now, the chances that one person would fulfill over 300 prophecies in their lifetime is totally off the charts. Mathematically, someone smarter than me figured this out. Mathematically, this is the, the equation. One chance in 10 to the 157th power. That's the chances of Jesus fulfilling all of those prophecies. And guess what? He did. Why? Because he's the son of God. Why? Because he came to save us from our sins. And the greater of those 300 were fulfilled in the last week of his life, his Passion Week. And I hope that when we go through our Passion Week, we just take time every day, just stop. And think about the salvation of Jesus Christ for you. What did it cost you? The sacrifice that Jesus made for you. That you do that every day. And especially as we come closer to the end of the week. We are celebrating here on Good Friday. You can come in here as you heard the announcements earlier. Friday we want to celebrate uh, together what Jesus has done for us. So when we look at the Bible today. When we're opening our Bibles to John chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19 together because it's here we read about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the ancient city of Jerusalem. Now, some of us ask the question, well, why did you choose the Gospel of John? Uh, the reason I chose the Gospel of John, even though all the other writers, the Gospel writers, include Palm Sunday. And that's very rare that every event that Jesus carried out was recorded by every one of the gospel writers. This happens to be one of them. John, the reason John is so important for us is, number one, is almost half of John's 21 chapters are about the last week of Jesus' life. So if you're going to pick a gospel to study the last week of Jesus' life, it's right there, the gospel of John. He's incredibly focused. Remember, this is the beloved. This is the one that Jesus loved, and he loved Jesus. That's, that's his moniker. That's what he went by. So we know that that last week in the Gospel of John is focused. And so when we look at it, when we listen to what John has to say, his account of Palm Sunday goes like this. 
It says the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, that's Passover, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches. They went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And now the crowd, <clears throat> excuse me, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, the raising of Lazarus, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. So what you're seeing there is the popularity of Jesus, obviously. That has gone through the roof. There are people that are following him. There are people that are wanting to be with him. And so you, when you read this passage, you understand a few things. First of all, <clears throat> just for the record, this has to be the luckiest donkey on the planet. That's, that's the first thing. I, the, the luckiest animal on the planet. Carrying the Son of God, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, being led into Jerusalem... That's not a bad gig for a beast of burden. I mean, this is an incredible resume. He's carrying the Son of God. Do you know that donkeys live between 30 and 40 years? And some even longer? And yes, I've done donkey research this week. I went into it because we're talking about donkeys. And I want to know, what, 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 why are donkeys so special? Well, they really are. It's interesting because they're interesting creatures. What do you think donkeys like the most? What do they like to do the most? People would say, well, they like to eat. That isn't what they like to do the most. What they like to do the most is what my grandkids like to do the most, roll around in the dirt. They like to get dirty. They just like to roll in the dirt. That's what donkeys love to do. Donkeys have long ears. And the reason they have long ears, two reasons. One, air conditioning. It helps them stay cool. The other is they can hear things for miles away. Now, why they need to use that skill, I don't know. I don't know of anyone trying to sneak up on a donkey. But... They can hear things a long way away. Now, the craziest fact I found out about donkeys is this. There are more people in any given year killed by donkeys than there are in plane crashes. So do not take a donkey to your destination. That's the only, it's the only reason, I, I, it's the only good thing I could come up with with that one. See, on the Jewish calendar, what we're talking about when we're talking about Palm Sunday is it's celebrating the 10th day of Nisan. And this was the day that Jewish families, what they did, they would go select the lamb to be sacrificed for Passover. As you've heard already, that they would take that lamb and they would live with that little baby lamb for a week. They would get to know that lamb. That lamb became part of their family. And that lamb was the one that was going to be sacrificed. It was this day, Palm Sunday, which we call it, was the day that they made that selection. Getting ready for the Passover, which would be coming the next weekend. This is the Lamb of God riding in on a donkey. This is the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. This is the King of Kings being presented to us on a donkey's colt. So the 10th day of Nisan, if we were to translate it into our calendar, remember ours is a Roman calendar, goes by a, a solar 
prediction or solar uh, rhythms. This is a lunar calendar. So this goes by lunar rhythms. It is April 6th. This happened on April 6th, 32 AD. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind because in a little while I'm going to refer to a prophetic word in the book of Daniel chapter 9 that gives us a pr precise calculation as to when this would happen to the day this was predicted in the book of Daniel. It's remarkable when you look at it. And so what I want to do since we've talked a little bit about donkeys is let's get three lessons that we can learn from a donkey ride that day. Three lessons that we can pick up and say I can take these home. These are things that I can live by. They're lessons that are, are given to me on this particular day. Number one is this. Jesus is more attractive than religion. I don't know what you pick up when you read this story, this Palm Sunday narrative. But one of the things that you find out quickly <clears throat> is people love Jesus. That Jesus was, uh, was more attractive than their religion. Who's the crowd gathering? Well, the crowd is a fairly religious crowd. Because they're gathering for the Passover. So, so they're compelled to do that. In fact, uh, in, in Jewish custom, they were compelled, mandatory. There were three particular feasts. You had the Passover, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacle. Each time in those feasts, you were required to make the journey to Jerusalem. So these are people gathered together who are religious people. They're coming together because they want to observe Passover. So when Passover is being celebrated, what they're celebrating is the freedom that they experienced when they were under bondage in Egypt. You remember the story in Exodus chapter 20. So they're un in bondage to Egypt for 400 years. And what is the instruction God gives those people? He says, listen, on this night, take the blood of a lamb and spread that blood over your doorpost and the death angel will pass over. And so what they do is they do that. All those that put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost were spared death. It was that night that they exited. It's that night that they left their bondage. So this is a number one feast out of all the feasts. The Passover is the big one. It's the one that everyone makes room to celebrate. So when Jesus came to town, the word gets out. The people hear about Jesus coming. And what do they do? They spontaneously Shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, like we did this morning, like our kids helped us do this morning. They started yelling out, Hosanna. Hosanna is an interesting word because the word Hosanna means save us, but even more than that, save us now. Don't save us tomorrow. Don't save us next week. Save us now. It's a proclamation. It's a cry that says we want to be saved this very moment from the bondage that we're under and so what happens here is, is Jesus shows up. And, and when you think about being saved now, why they were saying that is because religion wasn't satisfying them. Re religion wasn't, wasn't doing the job. That Jesus was more attractive than their religious processes and their religious traditions. See, to them, Jesus was a breath of fresh air from a very stagnant, stale kind of religion. So here are some differences. I was thinking about what are some differences that we can notice between religion and Jesus. There are many, but I came up with a few. Number one is this. Religion always emphasizes the outward. Jesus always emphasizes the heart. 
Have you ever noticed that? In fact, Jesus would go after the religious leaders who went after the outward activity, the outward appearance, the outward acts. Jesus talks about the heart. Jesus wants to know what's going on in our heart, our heart. And the same is true today. He's concerned about your heart. He's concerned about my heart. He's not concerned so much about, oh, what I'm going to wear that day. I mean, there's probably details he cares about, but that's not his biggest concern. His biggest concern is your state of being. It's your heart. Jesus is always more concerned with what is going on in your heart. There's another thing, a second difference. Religion is more about what you can't do. Jesus is about what you can do. When you talk about the word, when you look at the gospels, you're always hearing about Jesus telling you how you can live, that how you can live a better life, how you can do the things that honor and please God. Religion is about prohibition. When you think about it, and when you think about the, 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 the religions of the world, thou shalt not. Jesus was about you can come. You are. You are someone I care about. You're someone I love. And you can come to me. There are, there are some church folks that I know. I grew up with, with a lot of these kind of folks that base their, their whole religious experience, their spiritual experience on the negative. That isn't the design of God's word. It's not the design of God's spirit in your life. He wants you to enjoy life. And so he's provided a way for you to do that. And that's through him. And that leads you really to the third difference. Religion puts up barriers. Jesus tears down barriers. You see, if we were in, if we were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, we would not have a chance of getting up into the tabernacle. People like us, Gentiles, were excluded from all kinds of activity. Now, if you were a woman, there was a woman's court. If you were a man, there was a man's court. So you're getting closer to the tabernacle. But you and I would never get there. Unless you're a Jew, unless you're following the Jewish customs, then you don't get close. So there are barriers. There are so many barriers that stand in the way. Religion is really good at keeping people out, not inviting people in. Jesus was constantly inviting us in. He says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Who does he speak this to? It says, all who come unto me, I will give them rest. I'll give them rest from their heavy burden. I'll give them rest from their toil in life. I'll give them rest from the things that bring anxiety. He will give them rest. Jesus was always inviting. He was always including. And then there's a a fourth thing that I think is a difference between religion and Jesus. And religion says, you work for your way. Jesus says, I am the way. See, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That you don't work for your salvation. In fact, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to work for your salvation, to be in good graces with God just through working. And we see that world religions are all about working your way to God. It's human achievement versus the gospel. The gospel says to us, we come to Jesus by faith. We come to Jesus because of his grace. That all the obstacles have been removed. That you are invited to follow his way. And his way will always bring you satisfaction. Remember those words, it is finished. You see, you can't add, you can't take away. It is finished. Religion doesn't get you there. 
Jesus gets you there. And so when I look at this story, I recognize that I have some lessons to learn. Certainly one of them is that Jesus is more attractive than religion, that's for sure. There's a second lesson, a second lesson that you can learn on this donkey ride. Well, the second one is scripture is more reliable than opinion. Scripture is more reliable than opinion. We have been opinion inundated, I think, in the last several years. And what we can say is that doesn't cut it. It's always going to be about Scripture. <clears throat> this is what it says, <clears throat> excuse me, in verses 14 and through 16. It says, Jesus found a young donkey. He sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Have you ever found out that everyone has an opinion about Jesus? I mean, everyone in the world has an opinion about Jesus. There's, there's not very many places you can go that somebody doesn't have a thought about Jesus Christ. And they think a lot of different things. Well, that was true 2,000 years ago. Jesus took his disciples on one outing, and they went to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And they stood up in this place. It was, it was a grand heathen temple. And so they went there, and they were looking around, and, and Jesus looked at his disciples, and he said, who do people say that I am? And their response was, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say this, and some say that. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, and he says, you're the son, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And he said, only by God's spirit can you know that. You see, in Scripture, you see a lot of different places where people have a lot of different opinions. In the Gospel of John, you see different opinions. In John chapter 9, Jesus was not the Son of God. That was the opinion. The religious leaders said, that he's not the Son of God. Don't believe him. Don't follow him. There was another opinion when you look at the book of John, the Gospel of John. He's a prophet. That's in John chapter 4. And then the most outlandish, the craziest thing you could ever say about Jesus Christ was said in John chapter 10, Jesus was demon-possessed. Man, I'm surprised those folks didn't get struck by lightning when they said that one. Jesus is demon-possessed. You know, the closest people could get in their opinion, at least the ones that we have recorded, is that Jesus is a prophet. Well, that's, he, he's prophetic, he is a prophet, but he's much more than that. He's the Son of God. You see, there are all kinds of opinions out there. But when you read this gospel story, what you notice is really interesting. What John does is he goes to the scripture because he knows there's a lot of opinion out there. He quotes two passages of scripture in this particular cha chapter where it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A direct quote from Psalm 118. You can write that down. It's a direct quote. So what's John doing? He's saying, eh, everyone's going to have all kinds of opinions. I'm going to go to the word. I'm going I'm to go to scripture. And, and then there's another direct quote. It's in Zechariah or from Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king comes sitting on a donkey's colt. That's a quote from the prophet Zechariah. So what we know is John was going to the word. He was going to scripture. And that's what he, he was living by. That's what he was putting all of his hopes in is the scripture. See, scripture is much more reliable than any of our opinions. 
So whatever opinions people had of Jesus, here's what the scripture says about him. They said that he was the king. He was the Lord of Lords. See, God's revelation is always more reliable than people's estimations. People's estimations of, of, of Jesus, and really when you think about circumstances we live in today, always fall short. God's the one who has the answers. God has the answer found in his word. So question, we talked about this a little earlier. Why a donkey? How does a donkey play into all of this? Well, you've already heard one hint. Zechariah 9.9. Clue into that one. Because what happens here is he's using a donkey and he, he, he goes and gets a donkey or has his disciples go and get a donkey. It's in the other gospel and the other gospel writers say that he sent his disciples into a, a, a town next to them. Bring the donkey to me. Why? Did Jesus like riding around on donkeys? We don't have much recorded about that. This is interesting to me because the donkey does something here. The donkey shows his identity. The donkey helps declare and affirm who Jesus is. That's what happens here. In verse 15, it says he's riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, hey, behold your king. Notice your king. Behold your king. He's going to come. And when he does, he's going to be riding a donkey. There was the affirmation that he is the son of God. The affirmation that he is the Messiah. By the way, uh, kings rode donkeys in times of peace. Whenever a, a king wanted to show his intent toward a particular culture or group of people, one of the things he would do is he would ride a donkey into that culture, into that town, into that region. And when the others would see him coming, other cultures would see that king coming, they would know he was coming in peace because he was riding on a donkey. You see, if a king wants to declare war, they ride a horse. So if you see a king coming on a horse, watch out. Trouble's coming. War is coming. And you can go to Revelation. You can go to Revelation 19. And it says when Jesus comes back, what's he going to be riding? A horse. And it says in Revelation 19, he'll come riding a horse and he'll bring judgment and war against the people. Wow. Here is a donkey coming in peace, and in Revelation 19, it is going to be a horse. That is the last day. In John chapter 12, Jesus shows himself as the prince of peace. So the donkey represents the reliability of Scripture. So when you read about a donkey, you know that Scripture is something you can count on. See, 500 years earlier is when Zechariah predicts your king will come. He'll come riding on a donkey's colt. This is John's rendition of the Palm Sunday. This event is mentioned, again, as I said, in all four Gospels. This is one of the few events that makes it to all four Gospels. So I want you to do something with me just for a moment. Think back to another Gospel writer. The Gospel writer is Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, Luke does something for us. John records the event of Palm Sunday. What does Luke do Luke tells us what Jesus said to his disciples and to others during that event. So Luke talks about the detail. What is the exchange? What is the communication between those around him? And in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, 
even you had only known on this day that would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and they'll encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God coming to you. What's he speaking of there? He's speaking of this very moment. That the children of Israel were blinded to their Savior, their Messiah. That was Jesus Christ. He says, you're missing it. You're not catching it. You're missing it. You've been told about this. This has been spoken to you. Says that he saw the city and he wept over it. Several of us have been to the city of Jerusalem. and We've had the same view, essentially, that Jesus has had. Many of us are going to be going in a few weeks, the beginning of May. And when you're coming across, that is the view from the place that Jesus came, from the place that Jesus spoke these words before he went down that trail from the Mount of Olives right into those gates that you see closed in those walls. That's, those are the gates that Jesus walked through. In fact, up to the gates are where they said and praised and sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, deliver us, deliver us. It's that place. So when we were there, I didn't see anyone weeping. Uh, we, were, we were taking pictures. We knew the significance of the moment. We were talking to each other. We were in awe. We were excited. But here Jesus shows up, and he looks at the same thing almost you're looking at, and he breaks down. The Bible says that he physically broke down. He started to sob. He started to weep. Jesus weeps over this city. And Jesus weeps, and he predicts the fall of Jerusalem. People thought that was impossible because of its fortification, but it happened in 70 AD. A few years after Jesus left the planet, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem in a siege and they destroyed it. One stone upon another, they took it down. They leveled it. They massacred it. They just tore it apart and the people in it. Why, why did they destroy it? Well, in verse 44, it says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, Jesus predicts that. He says the reason it's destroyed and destroyed in 70 AD is because you didn't catch on to what was happening. You didn't see what was going on. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus is referring to the prophetic word of Daniel. Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives the exact timeline for his triumphal entry. And Daniel, if you want to look it up, Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Daniel gives, in the book of Daniel, it gives the precise timeline as to when this was going to happen. He says, from the time Jerusalem would be restored, how was it restored? Remember Nehemiah and his cohorts? They came together by the, by the, by the degree of Artaxerxes, and they restore Jerusalem from that point to Jesus riding in as the Prince of Peace was to be 483 years that the time would pass. And then it says that the Messiah after that would be killed. In fact, it uses the word be cut off. That's precisely what took place. You see, several scholars, not only biblical scholars, but secular scholars have looked into this and they said this timeline is exact. That it doesn't miss a beat. 
from the day that Artaxerxes was given the or, or gave the order, the release to do this, March 14th, 4, 445 BC, until 40, uh, 483 years later, on April 6th, AD 32, Jesus wrote in. 483 years had passed, exactly. What does Jesus say? Because you're missing this, guys. You're missing this. There's going to be destruction. When I read something like this, I always think to myself, Lord, please don't let me live a blind life. Please, Lord, let my eyes be open because I don't want the same judgment that was on, on Jerusalem, on Israel, that I missed something that God was up to. I want to have my eyes open to what God is about and what he's doing today. And I think we want to have our eyes open. This Palm Sunday was the very first and only time that Jesus presents himself as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. Can you remember all the other times? What does he say? Shh, 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 shh. Don't talk about this. Don't tell people this. Well, when you raise someone from the dead like he raised Lazarus, the word gets out. I mean, the word gets out. That was the scuttlebutt. That was the, whoa, something big happened. But he's constantly telling those following him, please don't say anything. This is the day that he, he says, I am your king. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. Why do I, I say this? Because God's word is reliable. You see, God's word is what you can trust in. Your security doesn't come in opinion. It doesn't come any other way. Our security comes from the word of God. And here's the last lesson. The third lesson from a donkey ride that day. Following Jesus is more important than observing Jesus. See, Jesus is more attractive than religion. Scripture is more reliable than opinion. Following Jesus is more important than observing Jesus. I want you to keep this in mind. Because we're in the Easter season. I think there are a lot of people that sit up and they observe. They know that's going on. They're kind to this time of year. But that's all they're doing is observing. They're not following altogether. And there's a difference. There's a difference in what it says in verses 16 through 19. Listen, it says at first his disciples did not understand all this. They didn't know what was going on. At the time all this was happening, it was only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. I'm so thankful for that passage right there because I know there are times I miss it. There are times we all miss it. And it's so, so assuring to know that there's grace here. And they realized after Jesus had gone, it says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread that word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is it right here. See, this is getting us nowhere. We got to develop a plan here, guys, that is going to end this once and for all. At least that's what they thought. The Pharisees thought that they would do that. It says now the whole world has gone after him. Look at this. Look at his popularity. Look what he's done. We got we got to eliminate this this threat here. Now John does something here in this passage that's different from the other gospel writers. And I want you to kind of notice one of John's nuances here in this passage of Scripture, John records how people responded to what Jesus said and did. All through the Gospel of John, he's talking about how people responded. 
to what Jesus said? How did he respond? How do people respond to what Jesus did? And so John records the responses of four different groups of people here. Now, this is important, especially for what we're talking about here, being a, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, the first are the disciples. That's in verse 16. These are those that were closest to Jesus for the three and a half years in his public ministry. It was his disciples. They were following him. You have a second group. They were the ones that were eyewitnesses to Lazarus raising from the dead. He, he speaks of that. Now, I, I would have loved to have seen that one. That would have been, that would have been a fun one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for a, a video. Do they have that in heaven? I'm going to ask for a, a recording. Somehow, I'd like to see that one. And I'd like to see the people's faces who saw it. But that's recorded in verse 17. And then there's a third group of people. The third group are those who heard from the eyewitnesses that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They, these are all the people that are excited about Hosanna, save us, deliver us. Then there's a fourth group. The fourth group are those religious leaders in verse 19 that wanted to end his life, that wanted to exterminate the threat to their religion. So it's those four groups that you see observing what Jesus is doing. They're watching. Listen, it's good to observe. We, we all should take time, observe, take note, pay attention. I appreciate an observer, but observation needs to lead at some point to conclusion. Somewhere along the line, observation needs to come to a decision. That when I observe something long enough, I need to make a decision about that something. And here what we find out is there are four groups of people and only one group that we know of followed him. They observed him, they watched him, and they said, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Not just the 12 disciples. There were others that made that decision after their observation. I want to say that we can move and we need to move beyond just observing. Even when we talk about God's word and we're reading God's word and we just observe it, and we weigh it and we think about it. Where does this get put into action? Where is this a decision in my life? Because I know this and, and I, I like to do this myself. People study, study, study. I mean, the only way that you can talk about donkeys like I did is that you study, you know. But we can't stay there. We can't just keep studying without acting. We can't keep studying without following the one that we study. There comes a point when what we observe needs to be translated in what we do. And that's what Jesus provokes us to do in, in this passage. He's saying, you can watch me, but don't miss it. Don't be blind. Don't just keep observing somewhere. A decision needs to be made. James says, be a doer of the word more than just a hearer or an observer of the word. Listen, I, I know the importance of study. And what I want to do is continue to study. And I want to study everything the Bible has to offer. But I know there are subjects in the Bible that are studied just for study's sake. Just, just, to, just to study to study. Because when I hear people even talk oftentimes about the last days, I ask them, so why are you studying that? Well, I just, I'm just studying it because I want to know. And I think that's okay. But where's the application in your own life? 
Where's the application of following Jesus and being true to who he is, even when we will go and see the last days? What is the, what is the conclusion that you're drawing? Because I know this, knowledge puffs up. Just to know something isn't good enough because all that does is feed my pride. And I've said this before, and I think we're all susceptible to this. I think there are so many that have come up with these prideful certainties in their life. They've said this is true, and it's based on opinion and not God's word. And so what we have to do is we have to say, okay, I'm going to observe God's word. I'm going to study God's word, and then I'm going to apply it. See, I want to take the knowledge that I have of God's word and what I see in the life of Jesus, and I want to make application. I want to be motivated to follow Jesus, not just to gain knowledge. Knowledge without, again, practical application just puffs us up. I want to close just to say this. If you're someone who just has taken time to observe and you haven't come to a place of conclusion or decision, you can do that. The Bible says you just take one step, and that is confess my sin. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Now, I know everyone takes a different journey. I know everyone goes a different way to find Jesus. It's only through him that you find God. It's only through him that you find salvation. Your journey, your story is your story. That's called your testimony. We had a man that came here for six years with his wife, six years with his wife, and he kept observing and observing and observing and observing, and finally he made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and after that, he ended up teaching in our Bible college. He ends up teaching uh, uh, lessons on, on apologetics. He's just become this incredible, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And he says, I was one of those guys. You know, I was one of those guys that would just sit and watch and watch and watch and observe and observe. And then it came the day. It came a day to make a decision. Jesus will always provoke you to make a decision. Always provoke you to decide. What is that today? What's he asking us to decide? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Jesus is more attractive than religion. Scripture is more reliable than opinion. Following Jesus is more important than observing Jesus. And so today, Father, we take these lessons to you, and we ask that you make these lessons alive by the power and insight of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for every heart, every soul that's here today, every soul and heart that's listening to this message, that we would come to this place right now, this this last lesson about following you is more important than observing you. Let us, Lord, many of us need to cross over that threshold where a decision is made to make you King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Lord, we ask today that you grant us wisdom, that you bring your grace to our lives, that you would transform us and change us as we follow you, King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.